Hi, and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie, and in each episode, I, along with my co presenters and guests, will help you connect with and take care of our amazing natural world. In this episode, we chat to Simon Foster, Nature Scott's Trends and Indicators Analysis Officer, about our latest research, which reveals an increase in the number of birds in Scotland's towns and cities. He explains the likely reasons for the increase, how climate change is affecting our birds and what everyone can do to help. So hi Simon, Uh, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good today, yes, thank you. Good, good, good. We've had a little bit of snow here, which has been nice, So, but it's uh, all kind of dried up and gone away now. So we're we're here really to, to talk about the, the latest report, which, which looked at 14 species of urban birds between 1994 and 2019. Can you tell us what the kind of main headline news that uh, that's come out of that report for us, please? I think the main headline news from the report was that overall there's been an increase of around just under 20% in urban bird populations in Scotland. That's the sort of headline news. And then we can actually pick apart and go into individual species as well. So there's some increases that we've seen, particularly for some species like wood pigeon, blue tits, great tits. So things that people will be quite familiar with. We've seen some, some reasonable increases as well. Sorry, there's a dog in the background there shaking. That's fine. That's fine. So there's a, there's been an increase in birds across all habitats really over the past 25 years, but particularly a rapid increase in urban areas, which is which is of course great news. And you talked about you know a, a variety of species of birds, but is there any in particular in maybe urban areas that have increased? Well, as I as I said before, um, wood pigeon was one of the the standout ones, but another one that's increased rapidly, and this has increased across all the habitats that they're in, is goldfinch as well. So. They've gone from being a fairly scarce bird in people's gardens to actually being quite common. And one of the things they've adapted to is actually coming in for feeding at bird feeders. So people providing food in the gardens has helped boost their populations, but not just in towns. They've also increased in farmland and woodland habitats as well. That's brilliant to hear about how many birds are are on the increase and doing really well. But no doubt there are also some birds that are, are not doing quite so well. So do you let us know if they're, which species are on the, on the decline? Yeah, I mean, as, as you say, there's a range of species that we've seen increases in, but the decreases, I mean, particularly through this work that we've just done, we were able to actually look at the differences of, say, something like blackbirds, which people will be familiar with in gardens. So they've actually decreased in towns. And if we looked at that alongside when they're out in sort of woodland and farmland environments, they've actually increased. So we're able to show the differences between the different habitats, which is really useful for taking action from a conservation perspective, as well as um, informing us on on sort of how the birds are doing. So it would be good to to try and get an understanding of, of why we're seeing these changes. Nature loss and climate change are closely linked. So how do you think that climate change has impacted the loss or increase of certain species? And are there other reasons to have, have affected these figures? So if you look at climate change, it provides a sort of mixed picture for, for Scotland. We're actually, benef- some of our birds are benefiting from the effects of climate change. We've seen that through other work that we've undertaken. So particularly things like chiffchaffs and black caps, they're increasing in Scotland, whereas further south there's decreases. So they're they're less, the climate's less suitable for them further south. It's becoming more suitable in Scotland. So they're sort of winners in, in the climate change. 
if we, and I know we're focusing on urbans today, urban habitats today, but if we go to somewhere like our uplands, we actually see a different picture where Scotland's now becoming less suitable for some species. So things like doctoral are declining. And, and we know that one of the, the reasons will be climate change. So it brings a mixed picture in terms of bird populations in Scotland. You know, some, some species win from it, some species are, are not doing so well. So we're, all, we're always trying to encourage people to go outside more and really notice wildlife. So what, what birds do you think we're most likely to see at this time of year? So this time of year, I mean, obviously our summer migrants have all flown south for the, for the winter, but we are, you know, in Scotland, you can go around your towns and you can keep an eye out for, for things like sort of, even the common things like robins, blackbirds, house sparrows, things like that. They're fairly easy to spot and, and watch. But there's also other visitors that come in. Scotland's important for winter visitors. So this now we're seeing the start of an influx of waxwings coming in. And these birds uh, come in from the continent, you know, with the, they're almost kind of something that would have been drawn in a, by a school child, you know, with a pink, a pink bird with a, a bright crest and things. So they're, they're quite, um, they're, they're quite a nice feature of, of towns and they really make use of towns in the, in the winter. And, but they don't come over every year. Other more regular winter visitors, well, obviously around our coasts, we can go and watch waders and wildfowl, so things like geese and red shank and oyster catchers and things. And, and again, Scotland's a very important position because we have a relatively mild winter climate, even though we've got some snow on the ground as we're filming this or recording this. Um, it, it's still mild for, you know, for birds in the winter, so it makes a very suitable home for them. Yeah, it's, um, I always remember seeing my first flock of waxwings. Um, it was quite a special moment, actually. They're absolutely stunning birds. And even the likes of oyster catchers. So they're becoming more common in kind of towns. We certainly see some uh, round about here. Is there a reason for that? Are they just moving away? I mean, obviously their name says oyster catcher, but uh, they're obviously feeding on, on, on other things. So oyster catchers are, you know, they're one of our few urban nesting waders. So waders as a group in general, certainly breeding waders, have declined. So things like curlew and lapwing have typically declined. And actually, uh, the indicator that we've just been working on is that actually shows similar declines for farmland oyster catchers as well. So the oyster catchers in town are, are slightly buffered against that. Towns provide a really good haven for some you know for some nesting oyster catchers they you know they they nest on sort of shingle roofs and uh, places which are relatively inaccessible for predators so they can they can kind of breed quite successfully and you know an oyster catchers are, are fairly unique in the wader world because they the chicks are fed by the parents most waders actually just wander off when they're small and start having to feed on their own they they still get shelter and protection from the parents, but the parents don't actively feed them, whereas with oyster catchers they do. So so they're really quite well suited for breeding in towns, oyster catchers, compared with the other wader species that we can look at. Ah, that makes sense. And we, we do see, I've actually seen uh, some nest on the, a roundabout, um, which is quite interesting because obviously there there is not a, a lot of human humans walking across the roundabout um, and even in the school, school playground and whatnot. So it's, it's interesting. Thank you. Yeah, and they can fly the food in from elsewhere, so they don't need to have a lot of food close to hand. You know, other waders actually have to wander about quite, you know, they have to range quite far to, to find the food for the chicks. Mm -hmm. So oyster catchers can fly off into the near playing fields, get some worms and fly back for the chicks. Simon, you mentioned earlier that um, some of the, the species that have increased is due to things like um, 
uh, bird boxes or, or people feeding them, which is which is wonderful if that if that helps numbers. Um, for anybody listening here, do you have any um, ideas of, of what they can do to to encourage more birds into their their gardens or their local green space or even their windowsills? There's a range of things people can do. I mean, feeding birds is an obvious one. A lot of people are used to providing food through the winter, but also. I think it's important to realise that the winter's not just a difficult time for birds through you know, through the spring and, and autumn months as well can be quite tricky for birds. So providing a food source and, and regularly cleaning your feeders so that birds can, you know, feed, you know, in a safe you know, safe at safely at the feeders is, is very important. And then other things that people can do, such as bird boxes, you can either buy those or if you've got offcuts of wood, it's quite simple to find plans online and, and actually build bird boxes. Some species really take to them. So things like blue tits, great tits, house sparrows, and even starlings will, will use um, nest boxes. And then there's probably other bits that we can do in our green spaces, leaving more wild places for birds to nest. They need safe areas to nest that aren't that accessible to other predators and areas that they can feed. So lots of berry bushes and open areas as well for things like blackbirds and song thrushes to probe and find earthworms. So there's a whole host of things. Some are at the individual level, but then I think there's a sort of community level thing that we can all be doing as well and encouraging communities to sort of make space for nature throughout towns and cities in Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. And what about feeding birds? Is there specific things that you would suggest feeding birds? Uh, and certainly when people are out and about, if they happen to be going to see um, geese ducks, uh, you know, in a local park, we always talk about, you know, not to feed them bread. Is there anything, any other advice you would you would give? So the more natural sources that you can provide, the better. We don't really want to be encouraging people throwing out their leftovers and scraps and things. But saying that, I mean, if you've got leftover fruit, that can be really beneficial for things like blackbirds and song thrushes in the winter. And, you know, Grain is a really popular food source for ducks and geese. Um, so around your lo- local ponds, if you've got some grain, they would probably happily feed on that. And then in the gardens, well, that's one of the things that have helped goldfinches, is actually the fact that we've got a lot more people feeding things like niger seed and sunflower hearts. And these very high calorific value kind of food is, is actually something that these species really enjoy feeding on. So you'll, you'll get birds in your garden by providing a range of food and you'll start to see them. You might not get birds instantly. That's one thing people need to bear in mind. You don't just put a feeder out and expect birds. You have to sometimes be patient and wait. And you might also, if you're lucky, get red squirrels coming in. Yeah, that's that's actually good advice. Yeah, people, um, you, you kind of have to keep going with it, don't you? So, um, and even in uh, lockdown, I know a lot of people had in one of our recent surveys they they had the intention of of you know really wanting to help wildlife in in two thousand twenty two and keeping you know these good habits going. So it's good. Hopefully, all that, that you know these intentions have been put into place and and people are actually encouraging more birds and wildlife into their garden. It certainly sounds that way anyway. And and what about the and the kind of future looking forward? Do you think we'll continue to see an increase in certain species of birds? It's difficult to say. I mean, I've been doing this job for long enough now that these provide a snapshot. Um, It's a single point, really. You know, we can look at the general trend and there is an increase, but then there is a slight sort of decrease that's happened since, you know, about 2004. It's still above the initial value in 1994 when we started collecting the data. So... It's hard to say whether it will continue to increase. 
I mean, the more that we can do to support wildlife in towns, the more likely that, you know, it will provide a, a good safe haven for, for birds in, in these areas. So, you know, as the future goes on, well, if we can do more for towns and we can implement some of our, you know, nature-based solutions to help for nesting and feeding requirements for birds, then by all means, we should expect the population still to at least remain stable and possibly increase in some areas. That's great. And, you know, our Make Space for Nature campaign is, is always providing practical ways that, that people can look after wildlife. So hopefully they will they will keep uh, doing as much as they can to help reverse nature loss. So just from a personal point of view, how, how do you make space for nature in your life, Simon? By doing as little as possible in my garden, leaving lots of wild patches um, and providing food as well for, for the birds throughout throughout the year. And I've got some offcuts of wood that I've made nest boxes from. So that's kind of how I made space in my in my area by being untidy in the garden so it might not always look that appealing to most people but it's actually better for wildlife if you leave bits and pieces of you know sort of shrubs left to kind of be overgrown and things it's a useful nesting area for for birds for sure that's great it certainly sounds like my type of garden anyway mm. but but also leaving out water i think is quite important as well for for wildlife in general Definitely, ab- absolutely. I've got a stream at the bottom of of my garden, so that provides a constant source of of open water for for birds to come and feed in. But if you haven't got a stream, providing small bird baths and things and keeping those regularly clean can be really useful. And you'll actually see in the summer it being of enormous use for a lot of birds that come in and, and sort of preen and kind of bathe in in the water in in the summer. Birds are often quite uh, an emotive species for a lot of people. Can we ask uh, what got you interested in in your field of expertise in the first place? Well, I mean, I've been studying birds now for, don't don't think how long, probably over 40 years now. And, you know, I was really through enthusiastic teachers uh, at my school that encouraged you to go out looking looking at birds and, and taught you kind of, what what there was to see so that's i sort of learned from an early, an early age and i've just continued that throughout my entire life and i've been lucky to work for nature scott to actually indulge in some of my passion as well with with learning about birds and um going slightly off piste and a, a divisive one but um can you tell us a little bit about the the future of urban gulls well urban gulls is a it's a it's a highly emotive one isn't it you know, it's something that, you know, in the summer months, we'll see a lot of press headlines with girls coming in, stealing chips from people and pies and things. The one thing that we found through our work on seabirds, particularly coastal nesting girls, is actually they're, they really are in trouble. They're, they've seen some quite large declines. Some sort of nesting areas have completely gone now. So they're not... They're not by any means an increasing species in towns. We've, we've probably seen a bit of a shift into towns. And it's something that we need to probably look and understand better as to why they're coming into towns. Towns provide a safe haven, a safe nesting area for them. And obviously, they're making use of the food that's on offer in towns. So our towns are of value to the, to the gulls in a sort of conservation perspective, I would say, but it's, but I do realize that they're not everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody likes seeing the gulls in towns and, and there probably is something for us to try, try and collectively figure out how to encourage gulls to start using the coastal areas again. And probably some of our work 
with marine protected areas and improving kind of you know the marine habitats will probably benefit our gulls or should be benefiting our gulls in the long run as well yeah it's always a very interesting one i find where it's quite easy for anybody to appreciate a small colorful songbird but um, there's something quite impressive and, and hardy about the, the urban gulls as well Oh, they're quite amazing. I mean, having I've worked with um, gulls for you know a, a long time, and they are quite incredible. And going in through gull colonies and and studying them, you know, their behaviour is incredible. And you know, they they eke out a living in the sea throughout most of the year. They they, they sort of chip feeding gulls are, are quite a small proportion. Even the gulls in towns use the sea to feed. They they go out and do feeding trips. In, uh, in the sea so they're not just a simple species that sort of come into towns and start to, to monopolize um, the scraps that are available that, that people have left lying about they, they still do rely on the sea so the more we can do to protect the seas the, the better the gulls will be and the more likely they will be to use nesting areas in that are away from towns i would think and for someone who's, who's uh, works with birds and, and clearly cares about birds and has done for a very long time, is there a particular species that's a, a favourite of yours, or, or one maybe that you've you've never seen but but hope to see one day? In terms, of, I mean, I, I would have to say I, li- I like all bird species, so um, that's that's a sort of cop out, though. Uh, I mean, I do have a particular fond spot for waders. I've been working on waders, so things like Dunlin, red shank, oyster catchers, curly. I've I've worked on those for you know a long time. I really enjoy working on waders, and that's in the summer months looking at breeding waders around Scotland, particularly in the uplands, and then in the winter spending time trudging about on freezing cold salt marshes and counting and you know and gaining an understanding of of how waders are sort of using the coastline around Scotland. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. Wonderful to hear the, the good news for some urban birds, although clearly still a lot for, for you and your colleagues to work on to, to make sure that we can protect as many species as possible. And you know, birds there for, for everyone to appreciate, whether you're a full-blown twitcher or just someone who likes looking out of the window into the garden to see if you're around the feeder. But thanks very much for coming on, Simon. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a review or rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.